everyone. Welcome to the Wealth Investment Network podcast. I'm here with my good friend from Austin, Dan Krizanowski. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Awesome, Brian. Great to be here today. So, Dan, the reason I wanted to have you on is you're out talking to investors all day long, professionally. So what do you see investors are looking for in the current environment? Yeah, you know, some of it's the same, some of it's new. So we had the benefit, I'd say, both formally via a survey and then informally kind of what I naturally have been doing for probably the past decade, but a little more prescriptive over the last five or so years, has been talking to fellow accredited investors, fellow passive investors, alts, all the names for us. I think we're all looking at the same. We we feel that at least a certain percentage of our portfolio should be outside of the stock market and bonds. So, you know, with that, that theme, I think, has expanded to a greater percentage of the accredited population. In addition, just for portfolio diversification, I think the the net result of COVID is, no, I'm just not going to sit blind and have a 60-40 stock bond. I, I think the inflation headline in some ways has helped that a little bit when your bonds or CDs are earning, you know, one or two percent or even, you know, the best yield on stocks are six to eight percent, but the stock went down 10 percent. People start to recognize that this, you know, your purchasing power parity is going down, which, you know, at least for us here in Austin, housing is an obvious component. And you see that a lot across a lot of parts of the country, or I'd say parts where folks are net moving into, they're noticing that. So with all that, the most common asset continues to be real estate, where folks are investing passively. You know, ever since Mark Twain said, buy land, there's no more of it, you know, that's still true. And what goes up on the land in certain parts, whether for zoning and other reasons, is also true. There's only so much housing, even when you build high, to go around at this point, or multifamily, or industrial, et cetera, self-storage, different asset classes. So, you know, with that, I think more folks, whether as part of their nine to five, or what they do now consciously in the evening and the weekends is becoming educated on what else is out there. So that's just a high level. And I say that this touches everywhere right. from you know somebody in their 20s to even your doctors, your six-figure professionals that want to retire early. I know a lot of us here in town have friends that want to, whether it's Dell, Microsoft, are looking to retire early to be both a passive and to be an owner. So for me as an alts guy, this, I think, is very positive momentum. And for me as a real estate guy, I think it's a double win also. It's not as volatile as, say, something crypto, NFTs, et cetera. So, you know, with that, that's the, I think, blanket statement that we've heard and the sample size has grown, you know, tremendously. So with that, what do folks want to invest in? You know, the first thing we heard is, you know, I joke and call it the boomer fund because it's the monthly check in the mail. No, we're not going to cut checks, et cetera, but we'll call it at least an ACA. But I think there's a certain level of comfort here. And for a few reasons, one is as, you know, the music slows down a little bit from everybody just making 20% plus on every deal, folks want to see, hey, is, is this an honest deal? Obviously, the diligence and when the check moves, that's when things get real between you and the operator of the property. But some folks say, listen, I want to invest a half million. Let me just come in at 50000 to learn right. about the sponsor, to learn the process. And you know, many times, this might be the first time that these folks have gone online to create an investor profile, You know, right. maybe to have a second tax ID from a self-directed account, et cetera. This is very new for folks that, you know, are book smart, educated, probably, you know, seven figures in the bank one way or another, et cetera. But this is just a little bit different. So I think the peace of mind, whether it's that monthly or quarterly distribution, 
seeing that come into you is a warm and fuzzy. So I think especially now with once again, purchasing power parity, you know, purchasing power getting higher, inflation still, you know, relatively high, folks want to see that imminent return to see, hey, does this work? So that's the first thing I think for folks coming in the door, folks that are getting to know a sponsor or a syndicator, meaning the person that's raising the money for the real estate, they want to see that because once again, I call it on the private side or the retail side where we are, you don't have that daily liquidity like you would in a REIT. So this is something for folks to get comfortable with. So this is one strategy that I think not just now, but over time is going to be attractive to folks, but I think especially a bit more now. You know, next up, the other side of that is folks say, hey, whether it's inflation or self-directed IRA money, I don't need dividends. I kind of understand how this game goes, or I purchase houses. My buddy has put the concrete in the ground, built something. I'm okay right. with that. And you say, you know, I double my money, and if we'll throw on the inflation card and say, hey, you know, if another zero was on inflation, cool, then I 10x or 20x my money. Probably won't exactly play out that way, but that's the mindset of some folks. Or, you know, hey, like Austin, it's a very hot market. You know, maybe I get a 3x over so many years. Just throwing some of these out there, relatively speaking. But with all that said, this is the other side where either folks just say, yeah, I, I feel good about this strategy, this sponsor, and I want to set it and forget it for five years, for example. Let me go into a development. So two sides of a coin that I think, you know, have been around, will continue to be around, but also both very attractive now. In the middle, you know, 2020 is the obvious year because of COVID, but you know, over the last two or three years, there could have been periods in one's life where it's been a challenging, to put it nicely. And these folks say, wouldn't it be great if I just closed my eyes and woke up and I had 20% return? Yeah, that'd be great. And you know what? This is a strategy. It's been out there. You know, some people might call it hard money loans. I prefer to call it a bridge or pref. And as you look at the sponsor in the cap table, many times these are not you know, I'd say the riskiest, if you're thinking of Legos, you're not at the top of the pyramid here. You're down a little bit, which is healthier from an investment standpoint. So I share, and it's not because they need every last dollar. I, what's As you get to know sponsors and their mindset, a lot of them have built their millions and their portfolio by always keeping a few million on the side so they can get the debt to get the next deal. It's kind of the way this right. the game works. Not a super surprise, but not common knowledge. So once again, if folks have played this as a sponsor, as a developer, they need the short-term money, I'd say a wise sponsor is going to thank his or her investor base. So, you know, with that, this is the short-term sort of money that it's not the monthly, but it's not a long-term. It's kind of in the middle. And, it, you know, as we can see, a blink of an eye here, you know, we'll be at the end of the year and thereafter. So this moves pretty quickly. So from strictly a passive standpoint, that's the, uh, I'd say the three primary pieces of feedback that we received. Right. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit. I mean, it is more of a sponsor. It's always been curious to me that people were as concerned about cash flows because, you know, you're really after that yield. But I can understand from an investor's point of view, this isn't generally a new asset class for a lot of folks. And so while they're developing a relationship with a sponsor, being able to have access to regular liquidity probably does provide that peace of mind that, you know, this isn't some person that's going to run off with my money or whatever the other concerns are. You know, how would you say people are generally thinking about that? You know, is it primarily a peace of mind issue or are they really after, hey, we're going to do something with those cash flows? Because 
every sponsor's brochure says, hey, mm-hmm. you know, don't expect to get access to the, the money until however many years from now, depending on what the business plan is. How are people thinking about that in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on their stage in life and, and their mindset, frankly. Across the board, whether they come out and say it or not, I think principal protection is big. Nobody wants to lose a principal at any stage of life. That said, as you said, people, particularly if it's an existing asset, folks, I think, would get very hesitant if there was not payback. Obviously, development is a different story because you still have to build something for people to move in and pay rent, for example. So what you see here is principal protection, but then also I know a fair number of folks that this is their supplements or social security. You know, they may have a million dollars equity in their house, take a place like Austin or in the Bay Area, but they don't want to tap into that. They don't want to do a reverse mortgage. They don't want, they said, no, no, here's, you know, a hundred or 250,000. I like getting that check for a few hundred or a thousand or or so a month. I, I can live very comfortable off of this right now. So, you know, that that's one. I, I think the second one for folks kind of in the hustle and bustle, middle age, a few kids, et cetera, you just, you know, maybe it's every three months, frankly, you actually look at your checking account. It's just right. good peace of mind that this is here. And why is that? Because, you know, there might be a different part of Texas or for our friends in multifamily, maybe it's industrial or self-storage, a different asset class or somebody with expertise in residential that you really want to trust. And once you have that initial check with them and you receive those returns, that conversation around the dinner table when, you know, you and your spouse are talking at 10 at night and you finally get a moment, but you are talking about six figures or maybe seven figures. It's an easier sort of discussion when it can be like, hey, there's these folks, we went with them and here's what they said they were going to do. And this is exactly what they did. Right. So Dan, I know you said you have, at least we've had conversations about this, but can you tell our, our listeners about what licenses you have? And then also... What role does a license play for these alts? Because it, it kind of seems to me, outside looking in as a sponsor, like we're kind of shoehorned into the FINRA mm-hmm. industry. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about that and your experience with that? Sure. And I'll preface, you know, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a lawyer. I don't work for any of the said entities. But like anything, receiving a license tends to give you benefits opening certain doors. At the same time, it may close certain doors. So there's a trade-off, frankly. But generally speaking, I mean, at at the highest level, when people hear uh, Series 7, which it is, sometimes it's more of a generic term, which means, hey, I'm licensed. I know a lot of us, when we came out of school, whether it was with, you know, a Merrill Lynch, maybe one of these financial advisors, you were probably licensed. And also, if you're frankly in a different career, you probably had some licenses going forward. In my opinion, licenses are much more common, if not required, when you're at this institutional level. So you work for a Fidelity, you work for a Vanguard. You know, in turn, you manage institutional money for a family office. These are just some of the circles that the folks play in here from one broker dealer to another, you know, going from ABC Real Estate to a financial advisor that has Charles Schwab as their custodian. There's a certain reason, and there's, I think, for the investor, it's not beneficial, the amount of diligence that goes into some of this. You know, that said, there is also, it, it could make it a little more challenging, I think, putting on my investor hat, for the investor to find the best deal on their strategy. For example, are you going to find the best self-storage operator with one of their publicly traded REITs? 
I'm not sure. I don't know if that's going to get you the best net return, particularly when you consider distributions versus dividends, 1099 versus K1, the ability to speak to the the actual person that is managing the property. You're probably not going to get that with the publicly traded shop with something institutional. So I share all this broadly. This is part of the ecosystem and you have to think whether you're an investor or as per your profession, do you want to have certain, I think, regulations, certain timelines that go into this? Once again, it opens up certain doors and it doesn't. And I think if you have a large institutional prod fund, you're on fund four, it's a billion dollar fund. You can talk to some pensions, you can talk to other institutions. Yeah, definitely you're going to benefit from being licensed. You know, you're up and coming here. Maybe you're on your sixth property, whether it's residential, small, multifamily. Not a huge benefit to being licensed or, say, standing up your own broker-dealer because you're competing with all the big guys. That's why I talk so much about kind of the broad world. And then in addition, there's, you know, whether it's from marketing, I think flexibility of who one may want to represent. Like anything, when you're the owner of your company or companies, you have flexibility within that. When you're licensed, you're effectively an employee, you know, at one aspect or another, and you have to respect that. So that's another sort of trade-off. Okay. If I could just go in full circle back to where it is beneficial sometimes, certain product types and this is a bit of the weeds, but it does go back to part of our initial survey that we had in the year is certain products, which might be considered new to many of our listeners, such as a Delaware statutory trust, the DST. So let me practice what's a DST. If you, let's say you have a property you sell, you no longer want to own and operate, which means you cannot 1031 exchange, but at the same time, you do not want to pay taxes. In the middle is a DST. I like to say it's the best of both worlds. Without going into much detail, certain entities have to have certain licenses and such to offer something such as the DST. So once again, I think broadly, if you're hyper niche in a strategy and it requires being licensed, then go after it. If you're not as much or it's tangential, probably not. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I observe, and we, we attend a lot of the same meetups, but you know, sponsors at some point in their career have to choose, I think. Mm-hmm. Are they really going to focus more on operating projects or kind of on the operations side? Are they going to focus on, you know, helping to raise money for deals? And that kind of ties in a little bit with the licensing discussion. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, your experience having kind of played in both worlds? How do people think about the world as a sponsor versus how did they think about the world if they're really more on the capital side and helping to raise and organize money for another sponsor's project. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to preface, if you're on the institutional side and you are raising money, there's a lot of benefits to being full-time, W2'd, selling the suite of products. I started my career at Merrill Lynch, for example, albeit on the trading floor. If I was on the private side, I would have been limited to this, but it would have opened a lot of doors because people are going to answer a call from Merrill Lynch, for example. You know, that said, if you have a niche self-storage play, you're probably going to be considered in the eyes of the institutional world, a mom and pop. Somebody's smaller, although it's not officially retail, I like to call it retail because it's generally smaller dollars. In my opinion, more intimate relationships, even if you are doing a 506C offering versus a 506B where you need the one-on-one. 
I still think you have that warmth, uh, much like for anybody that's invested in an early stage startup, you do have that one-on-one relationship with the team that is operating. So, you know, with that, I think it's partially a personal preference. Secondly, some folks get, they enjoy representing a particular sponsor or a particular strategy. It's a fair conversation to look to be one of the general partners, one of the GPs. Like anything, when you are the CEO, when you are the lead of your company, you can raise money. You have that GP general partner exception here. So many folks that particularly tie in with a particular sponsor or strategy or, you know, frankly, start as a capital raiser and go on their own, become a GP to have this GP exception. So you can fully represent your band and raise from there. In the middle of these sort of worlds, I think our folks that don't want to work for, say, the big box company, but definitely see the sort of benefits just because the amount of product that comes through. We talked right. before maybe about the peace of mind to certain investors. In here, you know, you may stand up your own investment advisor. You know, you become your own RIA, so which gives you more liberty. I don't want to say to be a free agent, but you know, ideally to do your diligence and say, okay, whether I have somebody, an operator in storage and residential and industrial and multifamily, and I can then, much like your investment advisor would to say, hey, here's a strategy in your stock and bond portfolio, you now have the liberty to do that with alts, with private real estate. So if that's where your comfort level and calling is, you can go down that route and then you know, it's more of a question if you're doing it for fees and commission or for asset under management. And that's, you know, a right. deeper sort of discussion. But yeah, I really think it's wherever your comfort level and ultimately where you are going to resonate the most with your audience. I think there's three very different avatars from a career perspective. You know, I started off big box, which I got some good corporate muscle and, and mindsets. I've done a lot of mentoring where I've unofficially have been a middle person, but that's just been kind of in kind connecting. But you know, ultimately, I, I feel there's true benefit of having the one-on-one, you know, sort of relationships. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the discussion, Dan. Yeah. How do people find you if they want to learn more about, you know, your services or some of the private opportunities that you have access to? Yeah, absolutely. So, it is great. And please said, you know, you heard Brian and Dan chatting today. Send me an invite. I love the one-on-ones. That would be great. Some of the, I'd say, broad strategies that I reference are similar to what BV Capital is offering at the moment. So, that's bvcapitaltx.com. We have an indication of interest form, whether it's BV or another sponsor. I think it's just fair for both sides to fill that out, to share that you're accredited, what you're looking at. You know, maybe it's a strategy you're looking at that that deal is in the pipeline. It's just not not known yet. So I think it's 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 a good mutual win-win to do that. And, you know, Brian, one thing we didn't talk about, a lot of folks know me for is I've been around the self-directed IRA and solo 401k world. Right. And without going into deep detail, I just, a blanket statement I've shared probably a hundred times over on podcast is that, did you know you can use your retirement dollars to invest in private real estate, in startups, personal loans, invest in female founders, et cetera? You can do all this with your old 401k, your rollover IRA. So, you know, with that, I had an association with Rocket Dollar. I think they have a great knowledge base, rocketdollar.com slash learn that I would suggest. And then like, you know, happy to dive in detail, whether you are on the strict LP investor site or if you're raising capital to share how so many capital raisers have been so successful just from, you know, frankly, knowing how to share that one sentence, did you know you can use your retirement dollars to invest in my next deal? Right. 
Yeah. No, Dan, we'll have to have you back on to talk about self-directed RAs. That's on my roadmap of things to talk <laughs> about. Anyway. So Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time, Dan. Thanks, Brian. 